So today we have two verses. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition. Oh, we dropped a bunch of tracker tickets. Oh, no. Kids are going to be devastated. (laughs) Pastor Kevin gets all the treats in there. (laughs) Do not be anxious about anything, even if you lose your tracker tickets. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. In 1 Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. So good morning again. How are you guys doing? Good? Great. If you are at all familiar with the Christian and Missionary Alliance, then the name A.B. Simpson is one that you've probably heard many times before. In the late 1800s, while as a pastor of a large church in New York City, the Lord called him to give up his lucrative salary and away from the religious hypocrites of the day to begin preaching to the outcasts of society, including minorities, dock workers, and anyone else that society tended to shy away from. He also saw the need for the good news of Jesus Christ to be preached throughout the world. The mission-oriented organization that he founded would later morph into the Christian and Missionary Alliance, which is what our church is a part of. Simpson coined the term the fourfold gospel, which is the cornerstone of not only the alliance, but also what all Bible-believing Christians should believe, and that Jesus is our Savior, Sanctifier, Healer, and Coming King. This is the message that Simpson began sharing with the world, and it's the same message that we need to take to the ends of the world today. But from the moment Simpson had his life transformed and became a believer in Christ, he understood that as fallen creatures, we can't succeed in this Christian walk by our own power or our own strength. Can I get an amen? That was a really loud amen. All right. (laughs) We must allow the Lord to work through us to accomplish the goal of the Great Commission. And one of the ways we allow the Lord to do that is through prayer. And some of you guys may be thinking, yeah, yeah, I know I need to pray more. I know I need to do that. I hear hear it from the pulpit. I've been in church all my life. I know I need to pray. But sometimes we blow it off. Like it's just another thing to do on our list that we will hopefully get to eventually. But the Bible teaches us that prayer is not a singular event that we do once or twice a day, but it's a way of life. Simpson realized this and put a large emphasis on prayer in his preaching and writings. What he believed about prayer is one of the core values of the Alliance, that prayer is the primary work of God's people. In Simpson's book, The Life of Prayer, he opens by saying, The life of prayer leads us into the holy of holies, in the secret place of the Most High. It is the very life of the Christian faith, of the Christian, and it touches the life of God himself. And as Simpson opened that book with a prayer, I'm going to echo the same prayer here this morning, so please bow your heads with me. Lord, we enter the sacred chamber on our knees. We still our hearts our thoughts and words, and say, Lord, teach us to pray. Give us thy holy desires and let our prayer be the very echo of thy will. 
Give us thy spirit as our advocate within. Open our eyes to see our great high priest and the advocate above. And help us to abide in him and to have his words so abiding in us that we shall ask what we will and it shall be done unto us. Let the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. In your name we pray, and all God's people said, Amen. As believers, there are many things that we are commanded by the Lord to do. We are told to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. We are told to love others. We are told to have good speech come out of our mouths and to have character of utmost reproach. We are also told to do things on a daily basis, not as some legalistic obligation to God, so he'll love us or forgive us, but so that we can grow closer to him and receive the blessings that he has promised us. And we are encouraged to do this by reading our Bibles and praying. Let's look at those two verses again that we just read. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And 1 Thessalonians, rejoice always, pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. There are many reasons that we pray, but this morning we're going to look at just three of them. And these are ones that the Bible continuously shares when talking about the topic of prayer. So first, prayer brings us into a deeper fellowship with God and the knowledge of his will. Fellowship means friendship, companionship. God has far more attributes than we could ever understand. But one of the biggest ones is his desire to have fellowship with us. He is the potter and we are the clay. He molded us and pieced us together in our mother's wounds. He knows every hair on our heads, which for some of us is a little bit less than others. He knows every... <laughs> I'm going to hear about that later. <laughs> every... <laughs> Do what? <laughs> I know I'm not. <laughs> he knows every hair on our heads every tear that we've cried, every decision we've ever made. And if all this is true, why would he not want a relationship with us? A relationship with us is not adding anything to God. His love and mercy and power don't change because we choose to love him or not. However, he desperately wants us to get closer to him. He sees us trying in this life here on earth, and he wants us to know that there is a far better way to live than trying to do things on our own and in our own strength. If God didn't care about his creation, the rest of history would have been a lot different after Genesis 3, right? After Adam and Eve ate of the forbidden fruit, God could have easily said, oh, well, you know, I'll try again. Or, well, I hope you know the life that you're in for. Good luck. Kick them out of the garden. But God didn't do that. Well, he did kick them out of the garden. But right after they sinned, and sin was allowed access into this once perfect world. He created clothes for them and promised their future generations a deliverer that would crush evil once and for all. God didn't create us because he needed to, but since God is love, he wanted to share that love with us, his creation. 
And there's something very interesting that we find in Genesis 3, right after Adam and Eve realized that they had no clothes on. In verse 8, it says, Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord among the trees of the garden. In a sinless world, they would have had a very close personal fellowship with their creator. But all of a sudden, they understood the wickedness of their souls and were full of shame due to their nakedness. Their bodies were just as exposed as their souls were. And what was their response? They hid from the Lord. How often do we hide from the Lord? How many times do we mess up and try to keep it from God like he wasn't there watching us do it? And we hide. We stop talking to him and fellowshipping with him. We either think we can fix ourselves on our own or we feel so guilty about our actions as Adam and Eve were that we hide and try to pretend nothing happened. But prayer brings us into a deeper fellowship with God and the knowledge of his will. And in our most shameful moments, when we fall flat on our face, instead of hiding from the Lord, he calls us to seek him out through prayer. When we seek him through prayer, we are admitting to him that we desperately, desperately need his help. And we can't do this without him. The only way we will ever accomplish anything worthy and righteous in this life is through seeking our creator's face. 2 Corinthians 7.14 says, If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sins. Along with this companionship, prayer also helps us see the will of God in our lives. Romans 12.2 says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good pleasing, and perfect will. It's really hard to know what someone wants you to do unless you actually talk to them, right? Let's say your boss asks you to do something at work, but you don't take the time to listen or ask questions to clarify, then you probably aren't going to be very successful with whatever task they ask you to do. Yes, you may get some of it right, But maybe the boss wanted it done a different way than you thought was best. Or maybe they could have given you some tips to get it done better or faster. And that's what we do sometimes in our walks with the Lord. We think we know what's best for our lives or even what we think God wants us to do. But unless we actually spend time with him, talking to him in prayer, we're going to get a lot of things wrong in this life. Because the Bible says that even our best works and intentions are filthy rags compared to the Lord. Most of us in here, I think, are familiar enough with the Bible to answer this question. What did Jesus frequently do, oftentimes by himself in remote locations? He prayed. He was praying over and over again throughout the Gospels. It tells us that Jesus went to pray to his Father. And if Jesus, who was God in the flesh, saw how vital a priority it was in his life that he should pray, then shouldn't we also make it just as important in our lives as well? In John 6, Jesus tells his disciples, For I have come down from heaven not to do my will, but to do the will of him who sent me. 
Yes, technically Jesus was 100% God, but on earth he was also 100% man. And to perform the miracles that he did, and to fully know the will of his Father, he had to be in constant communication and prayer with him. Now, as the believers, we have the Holy Spirit within us that is guiding us, even when we don't realize it, by giving us discernment to make wise and knowledgeable decisions. And he may still bless some of the things that we do, even when we don't seek out his will for us in all situations. Because we do have free will to choose things in our life, if we so choose. But don't you think that our Lord and Creator wants, to at least, wants us to at least talk to him? about things before we go all in, thinking it's the will of God in our lives. I may be okay with my kids going to play in the backyard, and they may feel that there's nothing wrong with playing in the backyard, but as a parent, I would like for them to let me know and to ask before they do it. There's an exchange of love and respect. Shane just made a face like, ah, I don't have to ask. There's also the opportunity for me to impart on them information that they might not have otherwise known. Let's say hypothetically 99 out of 100 times, it's safe to play in our backyard. However, the one time had they asked first, I would have, they would have been able to be warned of the dangerous swarm of bees outside that they didn't know were there. That's just an example. There's not a swarm of bees in our backyard. Colossians 4.2 tells us to devote ourselves to prayer and by seeking his will for our lives through fellowship and prayer, we can help, he can help us avoid things in life that we never saw coming our way. And just think of all the things that God potentially shields us from every single day that we're never even aware of. Don't get me wrong, prayer is not a cure-all for this broken world. It does not guarantee a perfect, happy life by any means. More prayer doesn't always equate to an easier life given to us by our Heavenly Father. But as Jesus showed when he was praying in the garden, prayer brings us into deeper fellowship with God and the knowledge of his will. Even if it's not what we expected. Because whether in the good or in the bad, the closer we are to our Creator, the better. Because there is one out there who is doing everything in his power to get us to crash and burn. The enemy is at work in our lives through our flesh, battling the spirit within us, whether we like it or not. Since we know that this enemy exists, not only must we pray to get closer to God and understand his will, but secondly, we pray because prayer assaults the enemy's forces. One of the things that Satan is always trying to do in our lives is to keep us from praying. He was once God's most beautiful and trusted angel, and he knows the power that prayer has in our lives. By a show of hands, how many of you have gone to pray and totally been sidetracked by a long list of things that you need to get done in any given day? I think most of us, both hands. Satan is in the business of keeping us distracted with the world around us to the point that we will go through entire stretches of time without actually seeking our Savior in prayer. We have any C.S. Lewis fans? A couple. In his book, The Screwtape Letters, the head demon Screwtape says to his underling Wormwood, in response to the soul that they're trying to corrupt and bring to the dark side, you will find that anything or nothing is sufficient to attract his wandering attention. 
You no longer need a good book, which he really likes, to keep him from his prayers or his work or his sleep. A column of advertisements in yesterday's paper will do. You can make him do anything, or you can make him do nothing at all for long periods of time. I wonder what C.S. Lewis would write with, in regards to all of the social media we have and how easily advertisements are bombarding us every single day. It is very important as Christians that we don't let the conveniences and luxuries of this world to overconsume our lives. Okay, you don't have to raise your hands, but how many of you have already checked some form of social media today before we came to church? Again, don't raise your hands, but how many of you waste time on apps or binge watch Netflix and then wonder where the time went? Okay, last rhetorical question. How many of us seek these things often as a distraction from reality? I would raise my hand for all three. I've been guilty of each one of these, and I know that some of us in here may be as well. I'm not saying that you can't check Facebook or you can't watch a good movie, but when's enough going to be enough? When will we as believers realize that all this junk is making us really ineffective for spreading the gospel? And it's driving us farther and farther away from the Lord. An article a few years ago stated that the average person spends about two or three hours a day on social media. Two to three hours. That translates to over five and a half years of our life. They also said that time on social media beats out the time we spend eating, drinking, socializing, and grooming. And that was a few years back. It's probably much worse now. And that's just social media. That doesn't include all of the streaming sites like Hulu and Netflix and Amazon. Places that allow us to watch shows at gluttonous rates. Unfortunately, in our society, the numbers for the younger generations on social media are even worse than that. And I know that a lot of us read our Bibles on our phone which is really convenient when we're on the go and we need to quickly look up a verse to share with someone. But I hope that each one of us in here has an actual physical Bible. And I realize the irony of that, that I'm standing up here with a piece of technology and not my physical Bible. (laughs) It is not lost on me, okay? Do as I say, not as I do. Um, That's not biblical. I hope that each one of us has a physical Bible to use to meditate in the Word without getting bombarded by this world around us. It's easy to get distracted while using your phones or your devices, even when reading the Lord's Word. It would be like me sitting in my living room, opening up my Bible, and as soon as I start reading, a random person walks into the room and chunks a newspaper at me. Then then a few minutes later, another stranger comes into my room and lays a piece of mail right on the page of the Bible that I'm reading. And then five minutes later, another random stranger comes in, takes a selfie of themselves, and then throws the camera at me. Wouldn't all of those things be totally distracting if that happened? I just want to point out that if we're not careful, our enemy will and already does use all of this technology and all of the junk that's out there in the world against us to keep us busy, to keep us worried, to keep us anxious, 
to keep us off track. And it's by far, I think, one of the, if not the greatest tools that Satan uses to render us unable to fight against him. Could you imagine the difference it would make, not only in our lives, but in our country, in our world, if we as Christians used all this time far more wisely? Okay, this is going to sound a little ridiculous or maybe too much information, but even the time we spend in the bathroom can be spent better. Now, let's be honest, this is a judgment-free zone. I am not the only one who takes their phone in and watches videos or reads stuff while going to the bathroom. And as my loving wife has reminded me, I'm really opening up myself to you guys. (laughs) As my loving wife has reminded me many times before, maybe I should take a a Christian book in. Or, Or even better, take the Bible in to read and meditate on. A new devotional series, Reading John on the John. I promise I'm going somewhere with this. And if your name is John, I'm sorry. Where is John? John's not here today. That would have been a good one. I bring this up because from his own admission and medical diagnosis, Martin Luther suffered from chronic constipation and did a lot of his studying, his work, and prayer while in the bathroom. Most of the 95 theses that would later create the Protestant Reformation were written during these times. It's a fun history fact for you today. Back to my main point. We need to be intentional with the time that we have of spending time with the Lord. Martin Luther didn't let even that, even all of his ailments that he had, he didn't let that keep him from spending time, intimate time, getting to know the Lord, studying the Word, and producing documents that change the course of history. We need to be intentional with spending time with the Lord whenever and wherever we can. We have to stop letting the things around us distract us from spending time with the Lord. Let's take days where we turn off our devices when we get home and spend time in fellowship with our families and our Lord. So here's a challenge for us this next week. Take an entire day or at least an evening when you're off from work to turn off the devices and spend time with God and your family in prayer and in fellowship. And I'm expecting my family to hold me to that. Be intentional with your time and realize that it's precious and that you won't get it back. When you would normally be inclined to reach into your pocket and check your phone, which will happen because it's natural to do nowadays, take that time to spend in prayer and prayer asking him to direct your decisions and protect you and your family from the schemes of the enemy. These can also be the times that you actually pray for the people that you've said you would pray for. Give your time totally to God one afternoon this week and see what God does. And in keeping with the theme of praying for others, another way that Satan distracts us regarding prayer is by making us think that prayer is only for our own benefit. He knows that he doesn't always succeed in keeping us from prayer, but his tactics go deeper so that when we finally get to prayer, he will put it in our minds that we are all that matters and that our problems and struggles are really the only things that God should be concerned with. When it comes to prayer, we have to be careful that we don't fall into the trap of thinking that we are the center of the universe. Yes, the Bible tells us to cast our cares and concerns on him, but that's not all that prayer is. 
In Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples that when they pray, to pray like this, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. In this example from Christ on prayer, what does it focus on first? It focuses on God. It focuses on how amazing our God is. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. We can get into the habit of starting prayers with all of our junk before we even acknowledge the majesty and wonder of the one who we are praying to. Has anyone ever had a friend or a loved one who asked you how you were doing, but before you could even come up with words to speak, they were already talking about themselves and all the things wrong with their life? And I wonder sometimes if God feels that way when we come to him in prayer. We bow our heads and say, Heavenly Father, Lord, Prince of Peace, you know, I really need your provision with this thing, and I really need your healing here, and we have a long laundry list of concerns and cares. And there's nothing wrong with praying for his provision and help in our lives, but we have to do it in the right time. The beginning of our prayers need to be devoted to the one who we are seeking guidance from, not as a way to suck up or to gain favor from him, but to simply thank him and declare that his name is above every other name. In the Old Testament, when the Spirit of the Lord dwelt with the Israelites as they traveled through the desert, the high priest wouldn't just walk into the most holy of holy places within the tent to seek the presence of the Lord. There was a process that needed to be followed. Offerings of thanksgiving and praise were given as a declaration of his might and their thankfulness toward their creator. There were also offerings and sacrifices that needed to be made to represent, that represented their sin and his forgiveness of their sins. And today we have his presence within us, but there's still something to be said about showing God the awe and reverence that he deserves and not just jumping into our prayers with our list of demands. Jesus said the two greatest commandments were to love God and to love others. And it's others that should occupy a big portion of the time that we are in prayer as well. If we are to love our neighbors as ourselves, then we should pray for others after we have addressed our Lord. And oftentimes, by praying for others before ourselves, it not only reinforces the value that these people have in our lives, but it also calms our spirit and answers many of our prayers before we ever even get to praying for them. Has, any of, has this happened to anyone before? You guys understand what I'm talking about. When you have so much craziness going on in your own life, but you take the time to stop and pray for a friend or a family member who really needs the Lord's help, doesn't it just give you peace that you can't explain? Even before you've prayed for your own stuff, there's something special that happens when we put our needs aside for a bit, seek the presence of the Lord, and bring a brother or sister's needs to him. And this includes even those that we don't like or who are against us. We sang it this morning, I raise a hallelujah in the presence of my enemies. Matthew 5, says, to love your enemies and to pray for those 
who persecute you. When's the last time we specifically prayed for a terrorist to find the Lord? When was the last time that we specifically prayed for our gay, lesbian, and transgender neighbors, co-workers, and family members to come to know the truth of Jesus Christ? When was the last time that we prayed for someone who disagrees with us politically or even bashes Christians or Christian beliefs? None of these people themselves are our enemy, as we sang about and read from Scripture this morning. It is not against flesh and blood. We can't allow Satan to distract us from prayer through busyness and selfishness. Prayer assaults the enemy's forces. It's one of the most powerful weapons we have in our arsenal to fight a day-to-day battle with evil. When Jesus was tempted by Satan in the desert for 40 days, you have to believe that he was praying to his father the entire time. And how did that story end? Because of his fellowship with the Father and his knowledge of Scripture, Satan fled because he knew he had no power there. Once we know the will of the Father by getting close to him and counter the enemy's attacks in prayer, we can then better come to know the third thing that prayer does. Prayer facilitates the healing power of God. In James 5 it says, Is anyone among you in trouble? Let them pray. Is anyone happy? Let them sing songs of praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let them call the elders of the church to pray over them and anoint them with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will make the sick person well. The Lord will raise them up. If they have sinned, they will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. But let's say, I'll say this before we go more into the topic of healing. No amount of faith or prayer on our part is enough to heal us. We have absolutely no power in and of ourselves to heal ourselves or to heal others. When Christ died for our sins, we not only, he not only died to heal our souls, he also died to save our mortal bodies from this world that has so much disease and so much sickness. God created each one of us with a soul along with a body and is equally concerned with both of these. And if we know that we can't save our own souls, then we must also understand that we can't heal our own bodies and our own strength. God has complete control and power over who he decides to heal and who he decides to not heal. However, there are things that are present in those that we see God choosing to heal. And in cases that we have seen personally, with friends and family, and the stories of healing in the Bible, we see there's common denominators are always faith and prayer. Of the 37 miracles performed by Jesus in the four Gospels, 28 of them were miracles of healing, either spiritually, physically, or both. And in almost every instance, we see faith and prayer. Over and over again, Jesus says, because of your faith, you are healed. It was their faith that allowed the power of the Holy Spirit to work in them and facilitate healing. And even though these healings didn't involve prayer as we usually think about it with head bowed and eyes closed, it doesn't mean that prayer wasn't present in these biblical stories. Prayer is a solemn request for help or expression of thanks addressed to God. And those in the Bible were doing that exact thing. They believed that Jesus was the Son of God that was prophesied. And therefore was God himself. 
And they may not have had their eyes closed, but they were solemnly and faithfully coming before their creator in prayer. And notice that none of them came up to Jesus and told them how much they were praying or how much faith they had. It was through their faith and prayer in the one who could heal that healed them. And some people in church circles or on TV will say that if all you do is have a certain amount of faith or amount of prayer, then God will heal you and give you everything you desire. But that's not how God works. There's no prayer punch card like a restaurant where after you get so many prayers and faith punches that you get a free miracle. If we had the power to do it all on our own, then we'd have no need for God, and all the scriptures advising us to seek him would be useless. We must realize that the only true healing we will receive is when we stand before God's throne, or if he comes back before then. Until then, any earthly healing we receive is only temporary. And to me, knowing this makes it a little easier to understand when God, God's answers don't match up to what my prayers are. Some of us here this morning may have seen the healing power of God in our lives firsthand. Some of us are currently battling and are patiently seeking and praying for the Lord to deliver us or someone we love. Some of us in here this morning may feel that maybe our prayers weren't answered or were ignored altogether. God says to ask anything in his name and will be given to us. Then why don't we see all of our prayers answered the exact way that we want them to be? Isaiah 55, 8 and 9 says, For my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my, your ways my ways, declare the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. We will never understand why the Lord chooses to heal some and not others. But we know that he sees the entirety of our lives and has a plan for us greater than we could ever come up with ourselves. Oftentimes there are things that he wants us to learn that we may not have learned having not gone through these trials. Look at the life of Paul. He experienced hardship and persecution more than we could imagine and in 2 Corinthians 12, he says, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul goes on to say, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses. So that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Paul allowed the Lord to teach and lead him through these afflictions and wouldn't let anything in this world deter him from the will of God in his life. And that's why he was able to say in Romans 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in in prayer. Prayer must be a way of life for us as Christians. Because even when God doesn't heal us in the way he, we want, his healing happens in other ways that are less obvious during moments of hardship. Unrest, uncertainty, and anger can be replaced by peace, hope, and strength in the Lord. And at the very least, through our humble prayers and faith, he will give us his perfect peace and understanding to discern his ways 
and his thoughts. If you're struggling with things in your life, give it to the Lord in prayer. If you don't understand exactly what he is doing, give it to him in prayer. If you need physical, mental, or spiritual healing, take it to him in prayer. If you have been chained and held captive by, an en- by the enemy and sin in your life, bring it to the Lord in prayer. It reminds me of a song. What a friend we have in Jesus. All our sins and grief to bear. What a privilege to carry everything to God in prayer. Oh, what peace we often forfeit. Oh, what needless pain we bear. All because we do not carry everything to God in prayer. Have we trials and temptations? Is there trouble anywhere? We should never be discouraged. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Can we find a friend so faithful? Who will all our sorrow share? Jesus knows our every weakness. Take it to the Lord in prayer. Blessed Savior, thou hast promised, thou wilt all our burdens bear. May we ever, Lord, be bringing all to thee in earnest prayer. Soon in glory bright unclouded, there will be no need for prayer. Rapture, praise, and endless worship will be our sweet portion there. As the worship team comes back, up. I'd like to invite everyone to stand as we pray. Lord, we come before you and we thank you and we humble ourselves at the throne of a good and gracious king. You are mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You are the potter and we are only the clay. Lord, please mold us and make us. Show us your perfect will for each of our lives. We lay down our cares and our requests and sins at your feet this morning. Create in us a new heart, God, and let us be renewed as we go back into this world as ambassadors for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.